Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Vioni, back with a solo pod following week two. Want to note that this podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code ETR when you sign up. They'll match your initial deposit up to $100. So it's $103. You can play in weekly contests over there. They're Underdog Battle Royale. They also have rest of season best ball contests going on. And we'll have some news over at ETR established to run pretty soon in terms of content supporting that format. So I'm excited for that. Uh, still really busy with the start of the season. Again, want to get up to like two pods a week and one a little bit earlier in the week. As of right now, I'm recording this on Thursday, hoping to do a pod on Tuesday and a pod on Thursday. That might not happen until after week four. But right now, um, going to get this pod out, kind of like a week two reactions podcast, maybe some buy low candidates that we'll go over today. But in general, it's kind of funny thinking back to the podcast I did last week, my week one reactions and how easy it is to overreact. Just that podcast itself, if you think about it, really in on Devontae Adams, really in on Juju Smith-Schuster based on the week one usage. The two of them combined for barely 10 points in week two. And I think the key here, there's two things. One, it's important to try and react directionally the correct way. So with Devontae Adams and Juju, I'm still in on those guys. I'm really excited by what I saw week one. But two, you, you know, the magnitude of which you react, you have to keep in check sometimes. Maybe I was a little bit too bullish on those guys. And you have to remember like how quickly, even for guys that are in really good roles, like they're going to have down weeks and things can come back down to earth. So we're trying to be directionally accurate, um, but it's hard to do that in a small sample. That's why you preach small samples. I hit on Jalen Waddle versus Tyreek Hill, and now Jalen Waddle has scored, you know, 2.4 less PPR points than Tyreek Hill through two weeks, um, which is pretty, pretty crazy uh, when you think about it and how I was worried about that. I still think Tyreek Hill is better than Jalen Waddle rest of season, but it goes to show you how quickly change, things can change in a week. I showed concern over Aaron Jones last week, um, heading into the week, and Aaron Jones leads the NFL in rushing yardage for the week. It scores two touchdowns, has a massive week. I know he saved at least one of my seasonal weeks. So it is funny when you think about things that, you know, we can be too confident in our reaction. So it's a tricky thing, but early in the season, we want to react directionally, but we do have to be a little bit careful with the magnitude of how we react, especially based off one week. Now, Devontae Adams, I'm still really excited for the whole Raiders offense in general. I tweeted out that Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro have about 70% of their team's targets through three weeks. That's a massive number. They're also a team that's had a really positive pass rate over expectation. The only kind of small flaw in the plan there is the pace of the team. Isn't that great? If you look at the play clock situation, you know how much time they're leaving on the play clock when they snap the ball in neutral situations. It's one of the lowest in the league. So the pace isn't great, but I think they're just going to get caught in games where they might have to play a little bit faster. Um, they might have to play from behind against some of these really good AFC West teams. So I'm still really in on the Raiders. I think there's routes for Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller all to pay off their ADPs, even though Renfro was a guy that I wasn't really on, not exactly the profile I want. I think it's there. And then Conor O'Driscoll, who won the FFPC best ball tournament last year, he responded to me on Twitter saying, you also have the benefit of if one of those guys gets out, then it's a huge win 
for the other two guys. And I think we think of anti-fragility and contingent value a ton at the running back position, something that as an industry, we've gotten really good at in large part, thanks to Sean Siegel of Rotoviz. But sometimes we don't apply those concepts to other positions. And I like to do this a lot at wide receiver when you get a trio of receivers. For me, last year, it was the Bengals guys. Um, and they were, they all kind of hit, you know, Boyd didn't really hit, but Higgins and Chase could both hit because of the efficiency of the offense, they were really good, but they had this hidden upside where if one of them goes out, the other one could be a complete, complete smash on volume. So, um, did want to hit on that. I think with Aaron Jones, that that is someone I would like to sell high on after last week, because the concerns from week one are still, I think, there. They beat up a really bad Chicago Bears team that had a real big OLDL advantage there. Aaron Jones, again, leads the league in rushing for the week. You know, They made a conscious effort to get him the ball more, and he capitalized. And I think that upside is there where he has the efficiency. He can catch ball at the backfield. But my concerns are still there with, with this receiving core, the strength of the offense in general, I'm a little bit worried about. A.J. Dillon's role is really, really major, so that's a concern. And Aaron Jones isn't getting targeted out of the backfield at as high of a rate, I hope. He's going to be fine catching the football, but the drafting him in round two thesis was that he's going to be great at catching the football, and I don't know if we're going to get that great outcome. I think we're going to get that fine outcome. Um, you know, I want him catching 80-plus balls. I'm not sure if that's going to happen anymore. So I actually would be looking to sell Aaron Jones after week two. I was pumped with the bounce back again, not panic selling him, but if it goes from like a concern week one to, Oh, I can sell week two. Um, high that's, that's exciting. Um, do you want to also hit on some tight ends? So Kyle Pitts, I think is the tight end that makes the most sense to talk about. He's had two really disappointing weeks in sort of two different ways. So with Pitts, um pulling up kind of my expected PPR point stuff that I've been working on on the back end. And with him, week one, the role was actually pretty good. So week one, he gets seven targets, 93 air yards. Um, but week two, you're down to three targets, 25 air yards. Drake London kind of takes over. And you drop from, you know, a double digit PPR point expectation to like a five point PPR expectation. And long term, we're going to expect Kyle Pitts to be the type of player that exceeds his expected opportunity because he's really talented. He's, you know, quite possibly going to be one of the best five top five receiving tight ends ever. Like he has that sort of upside. He had that sort of rookie season. He had that sort of prospect profile. So. It's a weird situation where I agree with Ben Gretsch's stealing signals that there's nothing you can do from a panic standpoint on Kyle Pitts. You're not going to trade him now. If anything, you want to buy low on Kyle Pitts. You're not going to bench him for any other tight end that you would have drafted or picked up on waivers. Like there's the only tight end that maybe has flipped Kyle Pitts in tight end rankings is well, if you had him about a Mark Andrews, I think Mark Andrews is clearly ahead. Maybe Darren Waller's ahead, you know, maybe George Kittle when he comes back, but like, that's it full stop. I mean, nobody else is even close. We've already seen the problems with taking an early swing at Dalton Schultz and TJ Hawkinson and 
it's just not happening for him. So you're playing Kyle Pitts and you're not trading him. So I think from one side, there's not, you know, a ton of concern on Kyle Pitts as far as what's actionable. Um, but as far as like him paying off his preseason ADP, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about that because I think when you take someone as early as Kyle Pitts, you need that production. Basically, you're, you you need it right away. Um, that's not a, hey, I'm going to take this young guy and he's going to do better towards the end of the season type pick. Um, that's a, this guy needs to produce at a really high-end level right away type pick. And basically my concerns with the Atlanta offense are coming to fruition, which is that they might not run a lot of plays. They might not throw a lot, even though they're bad. They had a negative 10% pass rate over expectation last week. They were neutral week one. That's like a 55% pass rate or so on the season. Uh, In terms of pace, looking at neutral play clock stuff, so how much time is left on the play clock when the ball is snapped, I have Atlanta with the fourth slowest pace in the NFL. And you have a quarterback that's going to take some sacks and going to scramble. The passing volume's not there. Drake London looks great, which I think is ultimately a good thing for Kyle Pitts, but it does bring in a little bit of risk of weeks like last week where London's a target hog. They don't throw a lot. What's there for Kyle Pitts? So I think he'll be fine over the course of the season, but um, this this was sort of like my problem with him versus Mark Andrews before the season. Like, how does he catch Mark Andrews? He's probably a dog in targets to Mark Andrews. He's probably a dog in targets or in terms of efficiency to Mark Andrews. So how does he get there? Really, the only way he gets there is he's he's an absolute unicorn. And he might be, but he has to, he has to show up and show up in a big way soon. So I have Kyle Pitts in leagues, keeping him. I'm trying to buy low on Kyle Pitts elsewhere. But to say I have zero concern, you know, would, wouldn't be accurate there. Uh, let's also talk about another tight end. I mentioned how taking TJ Hawkinson is turning out bad. And in general, it seems like year after year, those tight ends after the elites are just, they're just fool's gold to an extent. Um, I am kicking myself a little bit for not having more um, Dallas Goddard. Goddard looks really good early. And because that offense looks really good early, you're throwing a ton. Jalen Hurts looks really efficient, but Goddard did, let's keep in mind, week one only have nine air yards. Um, he had six targets, 46 air yards on a red zone target. Last week, he goes five for 82, doesn't get the touchdown. So he looks stable. I think there's more upside there than with Hawkinson, but I think Hawkinson's actually an interesting buy low. If you kind of went real late round tight end and it's not working out for you, I, w- I would put out some feelers for TJ Hawkinson, who we have uh, with double digit expected PPR points each of the first two weeks and his role's been okay. Seven targets each of the first two weeks, one red zone target each of the first two weeks. Golf looks good. Play calling in Detroit is probably a little bit better than expected in terms of pace. They've been like one of the faster paced teams in the league. And in terms of aggressiveness, throwing the football, they're like a neutral PROE, which for them is kind of fine. With Dan Campbell, you're sort of concerned that they might be the opposite. So I think TJ Hawkinson is a good buy low um, at tight end. At wide receiver, I think there are some guys I really want to buy high on at wide receiver. And Detroit's a good segue to some of those guys. I'm on Ross St. Brown 
being one of them. So Amon Ra, his target shares at the end of last season were absolutely absurd. That's something that I hit on, but I want to go over them again because it's worth repeating and then combining with the start of this season. So last season, Amon Ra, when he went on his crazy stretch of games, posted these target shares that are even, you know, they're, they're tough to fathom quite frankly. So let's start in week. And of course I'm cherry picking the end point, but uh, the real spike we saw was in week 13, 29.3% target share. I'm going to round up for the rest of these or round accordingly. Week 14, 31%. Week 15, 42%. Week 16, 31%. Week 17, 30%. Week 18, 31%. So we're talking a one, two, three, four, five, a six week stretch where his worst target share was 29.3%. And his average target share was 32.5%, which is not good, not great, not elite. That's like the best in the NFL type level. So that's why we were buying him because basically he was popping for us in the preseason with us being pretty conservative with that target share with them bringing in some new guys and just like some uncertainty on how real it is. But let's go to 2022 weeks one and two week one target share 32.4% week two target share 35.3%. We're now up to eight consecutive weeks in which Amon Ross St. Brown has not had a target share below 29.3%. It's hard for me to just portray how insane that is. So this is the type of player I'd like to acquire if someone thinks they're selling high by this player. So I'm in on Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think the same thing for Jalen Waddle with the Miami Dolphins having a really positive pass rate over expectation the first two weeks. And Mike Florio had a really good stat that he tweeted out looking at targets per route run and Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle are two of the top five in targets per route run. Doesn't get more funneled of an offense than this. And I think it's, it's like the absolute perfect offense for two wide receivers because they're both really good taking pressure off one another. The team's going to throw enough to support both and the concentration of targets is absolutely phenomenal. So I don't know how good Tua is. And I I don't mean that in like a skeptical bad way. I just mean that like in an uncertain, like if he's really good, it's an absolute smash. But even if he's bad, the way they're calling plays and the way they're dictating the offense, Jalen Waddle's a buy high for me. Um, So I'm buying high in receivers. I would say a running back, I'm kind of buying low on run. Or I'm sorry, I'm selling low on running backs. Sort of the opposite approach. Trying to find people where they think they're buying low. So uh, you know, a couple of guys in that regard. One is Najee Harris. I really don't, I don't know exactly what you can get for Najee Harris right now, but I would be, I think the best bet is if you can move him for a wide receiver. I think it's going to be hard to find the correct running back kind of matchup. Looking at our rest of season top 150 that I have on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, we have Najee Harris 28th overall, CD Lamb 30th. Like I'd I'd move him for CD in most leagues, quite frankly. Uh, if I'm okay enough at running back, and I'm a little bit, you know, dire at at um, wide receiver, we've got him ranked around Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb. I don't think you're gonna get one of those guys for Najee. But you know, Javante Williams had a really bad week, slow start. 
I'd flip Najee for Javante Williams and kind of take the younger upside. And the issue with Najee is the efficiency was always a concern. Then you throw in the Liz Frank concerns. And now we have actual data of Mitch Trubisky just being terrible and all the efficiency can, you know, for a while with Pitt, I was like, maybe they're going to be a lot better than people expect because Big Ben was so bad. I guess it's possible that still happens if Kenny Pickett comes in and is good. That would be the biggest shining light for Najee Harris in the Pittsburgh offense is that Kenny Pickett come in, comes in and is good. But otherwise, like him and Derek, Derek Henry is another one where if people think they're buying low, let them and sell low on Derek Henry where that offense that team just looks like a disaster. Preseason expectations were way too high based on sort of the unsustainable victories they had a year ago. Also, they ship out A.J. Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the entire league. That's going to have an impact. And we've seen the issues with Derrick Henry each of the first two weeks. So in my expected points model, Derrick Henry has not, he had 12 expected points week one, 6.6 week two. Like that's not going to cut it at all he's had one goal line carry in two weeks and he converted it into a touchdown against buffalo which was good but an aging running back coming back from injury who's losing efficiency and is now super game script dependent for a bad team that's the type of player like i'm moving i'm moving him quickly if i don't have a tight end i'd move derrick henry for kyle pitts um and again just work the wire at running back so i think getting out from underneath some of the running backs where we had these systemic concerns coming into the season. And then we've seen them the first couple of weeks. It's not panic because it was a concern we already had. It's sort of like confirming our priors to an extent. I'm moving out. So again, uh, like buying high on a couple of receivers in Amon Ra and Jalen Waddle. I think Kyle Pitch, TJ Hawkinson are good tight end targets in the trade market. And I'd be willing to get out from under Najee Harris and Derrick Henry, even if it means taking a loss. So hoping this helped. Uh, I'll be back next week again, hoping to hit two podcasts next week, one on Tuesday and one on Thursday, possibly just one again on Thursday though next week, but the week after definitely going to have two podcasts a week. If you have ideas for segments, please let me know if you're an established run subscriber, you can let me know in discord. If not, you can follow me on Twitter at two hats, one mic and tweet some ideas my way. But right now I think we're kind of do a reactions thing and maybe mix in some more DFS content in the future. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Appreciate your time. Best of luck this week. Thank you.